Good morning, everyone. Come on in from the lobby, those who are coming into the second service. Praise the Lord. Come on in. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, is what the psalmist told us. So let's rejoice in God. We have some reasons to rejoice today. We're partaking of the, the Lord's table of, of uh, communion. We're going to sing our praise to the Lord, but we get to be a part of uh, Believer's Water Baptism with uh, Jamie. And we're proud of you, Jamie, for what God's doing in your life. And hallelujah, let's say thank you, Lord, for that. Amen. And so I, uh, I'm, I'm dressed to go into the water with Jamie today as she declares her faith, right, in the Lord. It's beautiful. Um, afterwards, we're going to give you an opportunity, and we've done this a few times, but we're going to give you an opportunity, whether you know Jamie or whether you don't, if you feel prompted to speak a word after she is baptized, it could be a scripture, it could be speaking a word to her of encouragement, if you feel to do that, this is not a pressure thing, we're going to give you an opportunity to just speak into Jamie's life in these, this important step of faith that she's taking. Amen? So a couple of housekeeping kinds of things. We have a praise choir that's coming up. We're going to be singing on the 15th of May. We're going to be singing on the 12th of June. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, you can grab at least the 15th, the uh, music for that. And uh, we're looking forward to leading worship on that day. And you can look in the bulletin about that. Uh, we thank uh, Parkway for having a great day yesterday. We had volleyball. They raised, I think, lots of money. We don't have a final thing, but lots of money. And had a great fellowship and great volleyball. And yes, some of us are sunburned and lots of us are sore. But it was a good day nonetheless. I heard Natalie's yes. Yes, she understands. And so that was a good day. And so praise the Lord for that. Next Sunday is uh, Mother's Day. And so all the ladies can, are welcome back, guys included. We're going to honor our moms. Kim is preaching the message that day. Tammy is going to be leading in worship. And uh, we have baby dedication. Three moms and dads, three sets of moms and dads are dedicating their beautiful baby to the Lord. Wesley, Weston, and Scotia are going to be baptized or dedicated next Sunday. And so that's beautiful. And it appears... This has to be finalized, but it appears we're going to have another Believer's Water Baptism next week. And so there's this uh, trickling effect, and that's awesome. So God is good. We give to the Lord. We, I hope you had a chance maybe to see the coffee and tea. This is our first time to sort of relaunch a little bit carefully, having some refreshment like that. And you can see the little cafe type that encourages fellowship, right? And also out there, buried in all of that is how we give our ties and offerings to the Lord and the debit machine, and some give by e-transfer. Thank you for worshiping God that way, and thank you for uh, partnering with what God's doing here. So many good things. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we invite you here. We need you. We've had a really beautiful day to this point, but this is a new time. This is a new moment, and we need to hear from you. We need to hear from you, God, in our lives and in our church. Thank you for Jamie. I ask God that this would be an important day as she declares her faith and an important day of support 
And may we rejoice, as the Bible says, the angels of heaven rejoice when one comes to repentance, God. And so we rejoice with Jamie, what you're doing in her life. Praise the Lord. And so God, be with us. Be with Pastor Brock as he leads. As we come to this table, the Lord's table, communion, help us to just begin to grasp what it means to have been died for. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand? Amen. Uh, we were considering what, the, what David said in one of the Psalms. He said, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, and I will still praise him, because he is my Savior. I don't know how your week was, if it was uh, pleasant or unpleasant, but God was there all the same, and he's still good. He's still waiting to rescue us in the midst of all of our troubles. Um, this first song is called 10,000 Reasons. I don't know, I'm pretty sure that's the, not the number of reasons to bless God, but there's probably a few more. I haven't counted them all yet. Uh, but we're going to sing to him because he is good, he is worthy, regardless of our circumstance, but maybe you have some circumstances you want to thank him for. Uh, but we're going to bless him because he's good. So would you sing with us? Amen.
I had the, the pleasure of speaking at Cornerstone, the Christian school, for their chapel this week. We were talking about heaven, and I, I asked the, the kindergartners what they were most excited about heaven for, and they were literally crawling over the pews at the thought of having a hide-and-seek game with God in the entire universe, and they, it just blew their mind, and how long will that game take? And they were so excited. I don't know what you're excited about heaven for, but we're headed there, and we're going to live forever, because Christ is alive. And he's here in this place, and we're going to worship him. Amen. Let no one call in sin Stand in the light 
song is about rising from the grave, and that's what baptism is, that we are buried with Christ and raised like him. So you may be seated as we celebrate James this evening. We tested the steps. I don't know if you, you knew about last week, but when Alice came down the steps, she was holding onto the rail, but she still, I was, I was talking when I heard her plunge into the water, so she was baptized before she was baptized. So we made it down there okay, Jamie. What a privilege it is to, uh, to always join in to what the sacrament that Jesus gave us, this means of grace, this declaration of our allegiance to the Lord. When we enter the water, we are basically standing, as we talked about last week, as if Jesus were on the cross. And when we go in the water, we're buried with him, but he didn't stay there. We come up out of the water and we're raised with Christ. And uh, this is awesome for us to be a part of this with you, Jamie. We're, we're thrilled. And so we're gonna give Jamie an opportunity to, to speak a word of testimony and we're going to baptize Jamie. And also, I want to just say afterwards, just to remind you, we're going to give an opportunity for some that feel, whether it's one, two, five, or more, that feel to stand and just give a word uh, here today. It could be a scripture that God brings to your mind or an admonition or an encouragement for, for Jamie here today. So we're proud of you. We're proud of what God's doing in your life. And so I'm going to hand this over. And by the way, just in case anybody wonders, we're safe with this microphone near water. And, and I, I say that importantly, it's not safe to have a wired microphone near water, but we're, we're safe with this one, just in case anybody was, was on edge about that. So, uh, Growing up, I didn't know the Lord, and I didn't, I didn't go to church, um, and I didn't realize that there was something missing in my life until I turned 25. That was like the crisis birthday. I was at a dead-end job, um, and I was unhappy in my relationship. I knew that something needed to change, and I'm so thankful that my parents had my back. They helped me realize that I needed a fresh start. And looking back now, I can see that God was working in my life. He led me to Trevor, um, and in turn, Trevor led me to him. Um, Trevor introduced me to this church, and as soon as I walked in the door, it just felt right. Everyone was so welcoming, and I felt accepted right away. And after a few years, I can remember um, we were at a service up at the camp, and after the service, my mother-in-law, Teresa, um, asked me to go up to the front, and that's where I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, I have seen God do amazing things in my life. There have been struggles too, which at first would make me angry at God. And I would say, why is God punishing me? What did I do wrong? But now I can look at those struggles and I can say, okay, God, what do I need to learn from this? And how can I use this to lead others to you? And I feel really blessed and really happy with my life right now. 
God has blessed me with a wonderful husband, um, my sweet little man, Logan, uh, and my angel baby, Brooke. He has blessed me with an amazing family, extended family, and wonderful friends. He has blessed me with a job that has purpose, where I feel like I'm making a difference, and where I get to pray with people and talk with people and hear about how God is working in their lives. And I have the Lord to thank for all of it. Uh, at our wedding, my niece Maddie beautifully sang Bless the Broken Road by Rascal Flatts. And I felt it then, just as I feel it today, that God truly blessed my broken road that led me straight to Trevor, which in turn led me straight to him. I understand, Jamie, that you have you do have family here. We know that, and you have some coworkers here today too. And so, welcome to you. That's awesome. Jamie, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is it your determination to live for Him? Therefore, Jamie Wiggles, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Bible says the angels of heaven rejoice. And so we can join with the angels of heaven for that. We, uh, we just said we would open it up, and we're going to do that right now with no pressure. Do you feel just a prompting? If anybody does, you're welcome to stand right where you are with good voice. Um, just speak a word that God would need you to do. Does anybody want to do that? Lord, today. <laughs> This is a step of obedience. Last week, after the uh, 
after the second service, James came forward and sat right there at the altar for several minutes. I just sensed that this was a true step of obedience. Anyone else? I'm going to take advantage of this microphone. Um, Jamie doesn't know this, but I've been bragging about her uh, before the service. I, I peeked at Facebook, and this woman has run eight kilometers today already. <laughs> so that will never be said of me, probably. But um, I do, uh, I'm so impressed by your fortitude, your inner strength, and your physical ability to, to um, um, just to be a witness and to leave your mark and uh, just really respect you. Oh, 
God, we look to you with hope and expectation for heaven and all the joy that is eternal life. We thank you, God, for your acceptance of us, that we didn't have to perform or achieve to be here. We thank you for your grace, Father. We love you. We praise you. God, would you help us uh, in this life, in our weakness, in our troubles, uh, and in our contentment as well, God, that we would look to you always, that we would cling to you, that our step into eternity would be uh, seamless with this life, that we would be one with you. As we look to communion, that we would be well-practiced in being in your presence, Father, and that we would represent you to the world around us, uh, just like Jamie, that we would bear your love to our neighbors, God, that we would reflect you in every every aspect of our lives, God. Would you sensitize us to the ways that we don't look like you, Father? We say in our weakness that we want to. Would you help us, Lord, to be like you? Would you make us faithful and kind and true? And God, the world is so big and broken. We are overwhelmed with its, with its troubles when we think of uh, things like hunger and trafficking in Ukraine. God, would you bring your kingdom here? You are the hope of the world, so help us to bring you to them now that they would have peace and justice in our days. Uh, but God, would you come soon and bring heaven to earth and restore all things to good. We love you, God, so we ask you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing
Another little word you wish you had said something that you want to say now. Anybody want to take advantage? I'll just give a moment here if someone wants to stand and <clears throat> speak. Amen? Are we good? God is good. I want to speak to you today. We're going back to uh, Easter. Of course, every day is Easter once you've uh, had the empty tomb because that's our hope, right? But today we want to go back to that day, Resurrection Day, and we want to revisit the whole episode of Jesus on Resurrection Day, the third day when he had raised, joining with two men who are walking the seven miles from Jerusalem all the way to Emmaus, their home, and what took place there. He doesn't make himself known to them, not at first. They don't know who it is, and he has what we would, I suppose, call the first Bible study. Can you imagine have been having a Bible study with Jesus on resurrection morning? It wouldn't get any better than that. And uh, he tells them why it is so important that he had to suffer. And that was the stumbling block to their faith. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Oh my God, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us the privilege of joining with Jamie and what you're doing. It's what you're doing in her, what you're doing in your church. And we just get to be a part of it, and we just give you praise. We thank you for your goodness to us. God, I ask you to open up our hearts to the Scriptures today, just like those two men on that day. God, begin to connect the dots for us of our faith and help me to have clear-mindedness and clear words as I speak today, this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a privilege to speak with you today. Resurrection Day. So we're going to read the Scriptures, and let's read them together. We'll put them on the screen. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start reading at verse 13, and this is the whole episode that Luke brings us of the journey to Emmaus. Can we read out loud together? Are you willing to do that? Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, 
but they were kept from recognizing him. And so this is the same day that the women went to the tomb. This is resurrection day. Two men walking to Emmaus, and they're discussing everything that had happened. Nothing like this had ever happened before. We don't know who they are. Uh, We are given a little bit later on the name of one of them, Cleopas, and we'll come to that in verse 18. Um, They obviously were close to the events of Jerusalem because we know later on they knew exactly where the eleven were. They went to them. They said that uh, some of our women, when they spoke in in a possessive sense of knowing the ladies that went to the tomb, Uh, to say that the tomb was empty. And so Jesus enters the scene. He comes up and he walks along with them. And of course, uh, I love the verse of Scripture in Matthew 1 that says the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And so Jesus, and now not just Jesus, the risen Christ Jesus, he has accomplished what he came to accomplish. He is walking with them. So it tells us he didn't reveal his identity to them. They were kept from knowing who he is. And so this becomes really exciting. You know, when you're watching a show, a movie, or something like that, and you know what they don't know and the excitement that comes with that. Well, we know something that they don't know. This is God under cover. He was way before Jason Bourne and all that kind of stuff. This is God undercover, and there's a reason he's doing this. Um, So let's go then to verse 17, and let's read that together. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their voices downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? So they're discussing. It's a verb that Luke uses in Greek. It means to throw back and forth like a ball. And they're trying to make sense of everything that has happened in Jerusalem, there's a lot that happened. We know, right? The triumphal entry. I mean, the whole city is in a stir. They're declaring Christ. And then, then you have the ugliness of the Romans who are crucifying once again. Crucifixion, by the way, by the Romans was just one of the ways that they were able to declare and make very, very clear their iron hand. They were in control. No one ever should step out of line in their presence. And so now they go from the triumphal entry to to the crucifixion, and not just crucifixion, the crucifixion of the one that they had hoped for. And then the earthquake, and the darkness, and then the tomb. And so they're trying to make sense of all these things. It says they stopped, or stood still. Their faces were downcast. Luke is giving us a picture here of the frame of mind, the bewilderment that they're in. And it's Cleopas who speaks up. We don't know exactly who he was. Um, there's another Cleopas in the Bible. We don't think that's the one, so we don't know exactly who he is. And he says, you must be the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there. Everybody's talking about this. I mean, everybody knows about this. Now, I'm going to use the C word. Uh, I was thinking about COVID. You know, maybe COVID happened so that it would give the weather a break. You know, we talk about the weather all the time. 
And for the last two years, we gave the weather a rest. And all we talked about was COVID. He's, he's basically saying, wow, you don't know because everybody's talking about this. Everybody knows about this. Now, I want us, this has all been introductory. I'd like us to think about this as if, as if it were scenes. We're going to enter into scene one. So scene one, we've entitled today, The Long Reply Scene. Okay, we're getting into the long reply scene. So Jesus says, what things? What things? So this is getting really good because we know Jesus knows what things, but they don't. And this, is, uh, this isn't something new. Jesus would say to the disciples, who do people say that? And he would listen, who do you? And, and he'd say to Peter, who do you say that I am? And I just want to make a comment. When God asks a question, it's not for his benefit. It's for yours and for mine. When God asks you a question, it's, it's about you. And it's about what he's doing in you. So questions are really important. And the Holy Spirit may begin to ask you some questions today. And God brings important Holy Spirit questions to us. Well, he says, what things? Um, well, then they reply. And, and I want to just sort of, I want to read it somewhat like I think. I picture they may have said it because there's perplexedness here. They're perplexed. They're, they're, they're frustrated. They don't know what to make of all this. So let me read it. And I can't know. I wasn't there. We have the words. But, but let me read it in a way that I think, and, and you think about it. When you have a piece of news that everybody knows, and you find one person who doesn't know, woohoo, that's really good times. So they found one person who doesn't know what's going on here. So let me give this. They replied. Now it spills out. Okay, there's, there's pent up stuff here is what I think the picture that Luke has given us. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Take a breath. Okay. Interesting. They had heard, they had heard the news of the empty tomb. Most people had not at this point. But they still could not connect the dots. They still said, but we had hoped. They didn't say we had trusted. See, there's a difference between we had hoped and we trusted. We had hoped, but mm, there's a difference. He was a prophet. He was powerful in action. They contrast. They handed him over, our chief priests, our rulers. They handed him over. But we had hoped, 
Hope for what? They hoped that He was the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Rescuer of Israel. They placed the blame on the chief priests and the rulers who handed Him over, and rightfully so. And then they say, what is more? Because the story just builds. There's just more and more to this story. What is more? It's the third day since all this took place. That was really important, by the way. Third day was important all through for, for God's people, the Jewish people. Hundreds of verses in the Bible about the third day, both in the Old and the New Testament. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, he prophesied on the third day he will raise up that we may live before him. Jesus foretold that he was going to rise on the third day. Let's look at Matthew 12, 40 there, Chris. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So this was the third day, and here they were. They're confused, downcast, perplexed. They're walking home with a stranger. They have heard the news about the, the empty tomb, but they're still perplexed. They continue, verse 22. In addition to all of this, in other words, what is more on top of this? Not only did this happen, it's the third day, but on top of it all, that some of our women, they amazed us. The word amazed here, I, I decided to look it up, and I like to go to those Greek words and click on them. I'm not a Greek scholar, but it means to put or stand out of your wits. So it would be like us saying, our women, they blew our minds. They blew our minds is what they did. They, they blew our minds. They came. This was totally incomprehensible. They went to the tomb this morning. They went there and they didn't find his body. And they told us that they'd seen a vision of an angel and the angel said that he was alive. And then on top of that, our companions. And so the companions here are sort of obvious, and we know this from some of the other Gospels because Peter and John ran to the tomb after the women, right? So our companions, so that's how close they are to this thing. So even though we don't know exactly who they are, they're pretty close to this. They went to the tomb, and they found it just like the women said, and they did not find him there. The, the empty tomb was not good news to them. It was perplexing news to them because they hadn't connected the dot. What should have been absolutely joyous confirmation, it was an empty tomb, but, but Jesus wasn't there. <laughs> we, we wanted Jesus. We weren't wanting tombs. Well, let's come to the end of scene one. That's the long reply scene done shortly. Number two. Now, scene two. Jesus teaching from the Old Testament scene. Okay, here we go. We're in scene two. The next verse starts, he said to them. So think about how patient God is. Think of how patient Jesus was. You'd be busting at the seams. You'd be busting at the seams. I mean, this, he is the one. But he was patient. He listened. He listened to their rendition, just like he did time before with Peter. Who do you say? that I am. And I wonder in my mind as I try to imagine, and it's important I think that we try to, to enter into the narrative so we understand. I wonder if Jesus thought, boy, I better step in here and stop these guys from swallowing both, both of their feet right now because they're going in too deep. And so he says to them, verse 24, 
verse 25. Chapter 24, verse 25. He says, how foolish you are. He had said that to them before. You remember when he, he brought peace to the storm and he, and he said, do you not understand, right? How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You have the information. It's interesting. He said, you're not believing the information that you've got in your own hands. Time out, guys. You're, you're foolish because you're not looking at the data. You're not looking at the writings that are declared every single day in the temple. Every day with, the, with your, your religious leaders. Verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer? It's interesting, he's still speaking third person. They don't know who he is. Did not the Christ, because he is the Christ, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And he begins his first Bible study. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So can you imagine this Bible study? Moses, and then Samuel, and Elijah, and Elisha, and Jonah, and Amos, and Hosea, and Ezekiel, and Nehemiah. And he takes them through and begins to unpack, beginning with Moses. So the central subject of the Old Testament was himself. It was himself. All the prophets. Now, there's a reason why this is important theologically for us, verse 25 to 27. They're important for a couple reasons. Number one, glory and suffering were predicted of the Christ. You, you see, the, the issue is not the glory. Everybody wants the glory stuff. The issue is the suffering stuff, Right? It's, it's the suffering stuff. Not only the glory, but the suffering. And it's interesting that the suffering, be it talked about so much in the prophets, it was still the stumbling block for them. Surely not. Surely not. So glory and, glory and suffering. Number two, it's interesting, all the Old Testament scriptures are important. Now listen, I... Uh, Pastor Raymond, when I was a young, young boy, I, uh, there were parts of the Bible. Now, I'm just doing confession time here. There were parts of the Bible I sort of thought, God, <laughs> you could have left that part out. Now, come on. Has anybody ever had that? Now, you know what? Part of the reason for that, and, and, uh, and there were parts you might even be surprised, because when it came to like, well, Job. Job was a tough read for me as a kid, but I didn't have the experience. I couldn't connect the dots. I couldn't understand it. A lot of the Psalms, they went just right over my head. They didn't mean anything to me. They mean so much more now. I, I have enough life experience to enter into them, and God speaks to me through them. But at the time, because I couldn't connect the dots, you know, and that's why it's so important that we train up a child in the way she should go. When we train our kids, when we send them to kids' church, when we uh, ourselves, when we take, we learn, we learn, we learn, but it's the Holy Spirit that connects the dots. And that's when the cool stuff happens, when the dots are connected and it enters our heart and it goes beyond just our thinking and our minds and it, and it goes to there. So all the Old Testament scriptures are important. Number three is important. I've got four things here about what Jesus said. The New Testament writers have 
sometimes been accused by some maybe more liberal theologians of just trying to take the events, go backwards, and find some proof texts to fit the events into. And so they blame it on like the Paul, the writers of the New Testament, Paul and Peter and James and, and some. But what we have here is Jesus is the one who's establishing the precedent of the Old Testament Scripture. So, that, so that's important. And then fourthly, Luke, all through, including here, he just constantly uses Old Testament, a proof from prophecy, apologetic, just lining the Scriptures. Jesus is saying, how foolish you are. You had the data. You have it in your mind, but you're slow to believe. You're still hoping, but you're not trusting. It's time to trust. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And there's that suffering thing. We want to skip that part. Um, he had to suffer. Um, I want to make this a little clearer because I think there was some fuzziness in the first service based on some questions I had. I just looked up the word had to suffer. Now, we know what it means if you have to do something. But it is an interesting word because it's, Luke uses the word a lot in scriptures. It just means had to. It means it's necessary. You have to do this. This is necessary to do. And so Jesus says it was necessary. The word that he uses just gives that sort of that sense. This was necessary. It, it had to happen. It wasn't just what happened. It had to happen. Why, oh Lord, why, oh why? Is there suffering? Is that not one of the most premier questions that we deal with? Why is there suffering in the world? And he's saying, had to suffer. So I looked up that word. It's just a word, D-I, D-E-I. It means what it says. It's binding. It's something that is necessary. So I have a few different verses with it. I'm going to put them before you. Jesus to his parents in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. This is when he's 12. Do you remember this? He's age 12. Didn't you know I had, okay, there's the word, D-I, simple word that Luke used. Didn't you know that I'd, I had to be in my father's house? Where else would I be? That's where I had to be. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said, I have to preach the good news to the, of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Early in his ministry, he says to his disciples, I had to do this. Uh, we'll give you a couple more. Let's skip one there, Chris. Let's go to Luke 24, 7. The Son of Man must, same word, D-I, it's, it's just a word, D-I, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Jesus said, did not the Christ have to suffer these things, then enter his glory? The unexpected part of the Messiah was the suffering, even though it was foretold. First of all, suffering's distasteful. They were looking for a champion. Losers suffer. So, so they were buying into the system of the world. Rome was huge on this. Rome was all about losers suffer, champions lorded over them. That was all that it was about. They were really buying into the world system of understanding. Champions don't suffer. They don't suffer. Now listen, let me take you to some place so your mind can wrap your head around this. What is Jesus back in Mark chapter 8, 31? 
he tells the disciples, I'm going to be rejected by the elders. The Son of Man must be killed. He tells them all the things that are going to happen. What does Peter do? Peter comes up to him and he rebukes Jesus. He basically comes to him and says, don't talk like that, Jesus. Don't talk like that. He didn't say that before when he talked about the glory. Peter's like, yeah, we're going to go storm the gates. But when he started talking about the suffering, don't talk like that, Jesus. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. In other words, Satan wants to stop what God is about to do. I mean, Jesus is in the garden. What did he pray? That this cup, cup of what? Cup of suffering would pass from me. He had to suffer. Um, The gospel is Christ, our champion, had to suffer. Paul's sermon in Acts 17.2, you can put it on the screen. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them, Paul, from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Both suffering and resurrection were necessary because you don't have a resurrection without a cross. You don't have resurrection without death. And we love to speak about life, but we're hesitant to speak about suffering. And we're even more hesitant to speak about blood. Um, There are four boys in my family. Two two of us who are more okay with blood than the other two. (laughs) Right, Mark? I won't tell you who. I'm not going to tell you who. He knows which of the two, and he knows which of the... Um, We we can talk about suffering, but when you... You don't even want to talk about suffering. But then when you get into the blood, when you really bring it down to the, the gory stuff, of course... Um, we've heard of hymn rewrites, hymnal rewrites, where they, they've removed references to the blood, which is not only removing some of the gore, but it's removing the substance. He had to suffer. The blood is really, really important because without the shedding of blood, there is no communion. There is no hope of heaven. There is no salvation. If our sins are not covered by blood, they're not covered this thing's not done without blood. So it's really important. So we love love. We love to preach about resurrection. We love to preach about heaven. But this judgment and cross and hell business, well, we can leave that out. No, we can't. But that would be the temptation that we, we could have. Without a cross, there is no empty tomb. Jesus had to suffer because it was prophesied, sure. But he had to suffer because that's how... That's how serious sin is. That's how serious sin was. Isaiah predicted it. Let's put it on the screen, Chris. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Let's read it out loud. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 5 of 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. And so there it is, suffering. Our transgressions, our iniquities, our peace, our healing. He was pierced and crushed and punished and wounded. That sounds a lot like suffering. The principle of the innocent dying for the guilty was established right at the gun. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, 
they received garments of animal skin to cover their nakedness. Really the first record we have of bloodletting in the world at that time. That principle was set into Mosaic law that they would come day after day and they would bring the lamb, the blood of lambs and goats and they would slaughter them there as some form of substitution because somebody had to pay. Blood is everywhere in the Old Testament. Um, you find it in basins. If you read through, it's in basins, on doorposts. You remember Passover, on Passover, where they put the blood on the doorpost for the angel to pass over when they came out of Egypt. It was in the tabernacle, sprinkled around the tabernacle, sprinkled on the people. It was dipped, dripping from the altar, and it was smeared on the priests. Hebrews 9.22, can you put it up? In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood now in the New Testament. Oh, it's all over the Old Testament. But when we come to the New Testament, it focuses exclusively on the blood of one man. Jesus Christ. One man. The Lamb of God. That's what John would say. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews 13, verse 20 says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. On the screen, Be shepherds of the church of God, says Paul, which he bought with his own blood. He bought our church exists because of the blood of Christ shed for us. Interesting that the blood of Christ is mentioned nearly three times as often as the cross and five times more frequently than his death. It really goes to the blood because it is, it is the power of the sacrifice of his blood. He had to suffer. It's echoed through Scripture. Death is necessary. It's a necessary punishment for sin. Genesis 2.17, we'll put it on the screen. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die, is what it says. You will surely die. I, um, I, got, I got pulled over by the police yesterday. When was the last time you got pulled over by the police? And you have all those, uh, and, and I'm sitting right now in public. Paul comes up to me and goes, was that you that was sitting there with a the police car behind you? I go, yeah, that was me. So I thought, I'm in that stupid spot there at Goodyear Road where it goes down to 60. We all go through it, right? And it's just a tough spot. And, and I did slow down, but I thought, oh, rats, I didn't slow down enough. And I saw the policeman there, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm good. And then the lights come on. <laughs> Tom, we're with you, man. He's a policeman. He was a, he was a policeman. So um, anyway, the policeman came, and I'm expecting the whole thing, and he basically wanted to tell me my... The winter had done some damage to my license plate, so he wanted to tell me that. I was like rejoicing in the Lord. <laughs> but anyway, that's what happened to me yesterday. But I tell you that just to say, when, when, you, when you get a ticket, and, and let's say you were speeding, and you, you get a ticket, and it's a, a what, what are tickets now? If, if I had have gotten a ticket for my license plate not being visible, it's $110 for that now. He didn't charge me that. He just gave me a warning, get that fixed, and I'm grateful for that. So speeding, whatever it is, 200 bucks, whatever it is, you know, you get the ticket, and you're like, 
oh, can't I, can't I give this bill to my mother-in-law? I mean, but, you know, can, <laughs> who can I pass this off to? Because it, it has to be paid. And you can ignore it. By the way, you can. <laughs> now, Don's going to be upset at me because I've, I tell you these things. So those who are watching, don't go telling people you don't have to pay your tickets. But listen, we're doing live streaming here. But, but you don't have to pay it. But you will someday. Because then you go to buy a new car, what do they do? They look up your abstract, and you, you have unpaid tickets. And you've got to pay those before you even get a new car. Or you, you have another ticket, and they find out, well, you've got two tickets. Now, you not only get charged for the first ticket and charged for the second ticket, you get charged for not paying the first ticket on top of that. Right? Somebody's got to pay. He had to suffer. Because somebody had to pay. The wages of sin. The consequence of sin, the outcome of sin, is death. That's what he told them in the garden. And what does the serpent do? He comes along and says, did God say you would really die? Because he, see, he was, that was what it was all about. Not only casting doubt on God, but casting doubt on that point. You will die because sin brings death and it has a consequence. And now we have a predicament. We have a human race. We have sin a condition of sin. It's part of our human race. It's part of our DNA. Sin. Somebody says, well, I've never sinned. Well, you, you were born into a sinful world because your father sinned. It, it's, it's now passed on to you. We don't have a lot of choice about that DNA stuff that's just passed into us. It just comes. And it had to be paid for, and God couldn't find anybody to pay for it. I mean, he, he had some good tries there. He had Noah. He was a righteous man, but he wasn't righteous enough. He had some pretty neat people like Elijah, and they were godly. Elisha, pretty amazing. King David, a man after his own heart. Isaiah, who was a righteous man, but when he brought his righteousness before God, what did he say? My righteousness is like a filthy rag before his holiness. Not enough. So, then he chose his son to go and to become and to live a sinless life. And he was the only one who could pay because you've got to pay the ticket. Ticket's got to be paid. It's got to be paid. He had to suffer. So let's get to the final scene. The long reply scene was the first scene. Number two, Jesus teaching from the Old Testament. That was the second scene. And then the third was, is, the, is the great scene, the recognized Jesus theme. That's the part I like in the movies when they finally tell them. Luke 24, verse 28. Let's read it together. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What a bummer that must have been, right? They said, what? Okay, anyway, sorry. That's, that's how I just saw it there. By the way, verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Is that there, 24? 32, sorry. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up 
and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So he broke the bread. We remember him breaking the bread with the feeding of the 5,000. We remember him breaking the bread when, when he had the Last Supper. And of course, we're going to be partaking of communion in a few moments. The bread of Christ's body broken for us and his blood spilled for us. It says their eyes were opened at that moment. God opened their eyes. It's he who opens our eyes to the gospel. And I just want to make this little point right here. God is the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who connects the dots. He's the one who connects the dots. And I know there's mystery in this. I get it. But let's, uh, let me just read it for you. It's not on screen, I don't think. Luke 24, 45. Later, Jesus himself appears to the 11. Now 11, right? He says, it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. It's He who connects the dots. It's He who opens our minds. What is our job? Our job is to believe. Our job is to open or surrender ourselves to take in His Word, but He is the one who opens our minds. And it says He opened. And so this, this informs how we pray. Because now when we pray for people, we pray, Lord, would you open their eyes? Would you open their minds? Because it is closed because of sin. Okay? It is, they are blind. All through, we have that metaphor of blindness. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's God who does that. So Luke includes an interesting reflection. We really are coming to a runway here. Uh, interesting reflection about feelings. And I sort of love this. Uh, the verse 32 there. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? So their hearts were burning within them. So they're, they're talking about, did you feel that? I felt that when he was talking to us. The Spirit of God, he does move in our minds, but sometimes he moves in our hearts before he moves in our minds. And listen, I don't know where you are on the feeling scale. Different families, people are more feeling than thinking, and other people are just, oh, it's all about thinking. The feeling stuff doesn't matter. Listen, we are body, soul, and spirit, mind, will, and emotion, the whole of us, and God was moving in their hearts before he opened their minds. So don't be surprised that God may move in somebody's heart before he totally clicks everything in with the mind. That's a really interesting thing. They begin to comprehend it in their spirit. It's why a child shall lead them. Sometimes children have faith way beyond us. Their minds, what their minds can't comprehend, their spirit knows way better than we do. Right? Right? A spark of faith began to ignite. We had hoped, and as he talked, Hope was beginning to be rebirthed in them, and they finally recognized him. He disappeared from their sight. Now they returned the seven miles, and I'm guessing however long it took them to get from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they half the time at least getting back to Jerusalem is what I think. It was a faster trip. They told them Jesus had to suffer. Could we stand?
together. And I'm going to finish the last two points here. Dawn's coming to the piano because we're going to partake of, of communion. We just sort of want to get our hearts ready. And so have the, um, have, we're not quite there, but we're really close. Have the little packet ready. And if you don't have it, that you could slip out to the lobby. They're in a basket there. And I'm sorry, we're still doing it this way. What difference does it make for Jesus to emphasize so strongly that Christ had to suffer? Number one, it brings an awareness, a conviction, and recognition of the seriousness of my sin, of the seriousness of sin. It is so serious that there's no remedy for it. Oh, there is, but only one. We try so hard to find remedies for sin. Home remedies and Pfizer remedies for sin. We try everything we can to find remedies for sin. There's only one remedy for sin, and it's the blood of Jesus. It was that serious. Sin separated them from God. Holy God. Holiness if you think of it like light, and it is the, one, of the, one of the illustrations Scripture used, light and darkness, they're incompatible. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. Right? It doesn't exist. Sin does not exist in the presence of God. He is love. He is holy. It's hard. It's hard for our minds. It's hard for my mind. So therefore, oh my goodness, is there any hope for us? No. Not until Jesus. Because now, He died on the cross for our sin, and I still have this sin problem, and I come and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And He says, I've been waiting to hear you say that because I paid for your sin on the cross. And by His blood, the shedding of His blood, I am saved. His blood. And when Jesus looks at me, the sin that he saw before, he no longer sees. What does he see? He sees the blood. He sees the blood. It's covered by his blood. Hallelujah. That's what communion, we're getting a communion here, I know. And I'm starting to preach again, but this is communion. His blood. And so it shows us the seriousness of sin. That family in the Old Testament would raise that young lamb, that young goat. They picked the perfect one. And they would take that young lamb and goat that I'm sure became very precious to all the kids in the family. And they'd, they'd not only kill it, they'd not only put a knife to its neck, they'd put their hands on it while it was killed because somebody had to pay. It was that serious. And it reminds us of that. And the second thing, the second thing about Jesus having to suffer, why is that important to us? Because it is the prompter of our praise. Now listen, do you have a praise life? Do you have a praise life? Like, you know, it's sort of mysterious to us. We're all different personalities, but we have been called to praise God. You're in church this morning. That's a start. Doesn't mean you praise Him, but it's a start because we're trying to praise Him because He deserves it. But it prompts our We've got nothing. We've got nothing without it. Praise the name. 
Hallelujah. What else can we say? It means to brag on God. We have no remedy except the suffering of Jesus for us. Because without a cross, there's not a resurrection. Without a resurrection, we've got no hope. Hallelujah. 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 God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. You speak to our minds and you speak to our emotions. And God, we feel it this morning. Their hearts begin to burn within them and we feel that burning in our hearts. And we think of this issue. If somebody had to pay, we had no way. No way to, to satisfy the wage of sin. Death was before us. But because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of your suffering, because of your blood spilled, we celebrate. We can walk in freeness and newness of life. We can walk with the understanding that this world is not the end. That you have saved us. That our sin is covered by your sacrifice for us. And we give you all the praise. You deserve all the praise. Hallelujah. God, connect the dots in our spirit. This week, today, now, and this week, connect the dots in our spirit. May it bubble up within us in new admiration for our God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Can we take the packets? If you're ready, if you've invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you just pull that top cellophane there and it'll expose that wafer. Representing the body of Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody got it? The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you. Preserve your soul and body unto everlasting life. Take and eat this, remembering that Christ died for you. Feed on Him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Pull that next layer carefully. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. He suffered for you. He died for you. Preserve your soul and body unto everlasting life. Drink this remembering that his blood was shed. Pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Can we do that? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord bless you. You've been really great today. We've gone a bit over time. I'm going to linger up here. If somebody wants to come and speak about spiritual things, maybe you're ready to invite Jesus. You come and meet with me here. We'll pray with you. Lord bless you. Real good. Amen. God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.